Hey everybody and welcome back to the Off the Key Podcast. I'm your host, Mac, and today I'm joined by my two regular co-hosts, Gert, Baba Booey, and Jeems. Hello there. And today, for the final episode of Off the Key Essentials, we're going to be kicking it off with James' second pick, Rejuvenation by The Meteors. So James, tell us, why'd you pick this album as an essential? Suffice to say, The Meters are a criminally underappreciated band, and I wanted to bring them to light to not only you guys, but to whoever is listening that may have not heard of The Meters. This is a quintessential funk album, and The Meters are a quintessential funk group. They were kind of one of the founding fathers of funk. They were, but the lesser-known founding father of funk, (laughs) like... Everyone knows James Brown and, you know, Stevie Wonder and Parliament, P-Funk, all those guys. But the Meters, they're kind of the, kind of the musician's band. If you're wondering, the Meters are an American funk band formed in 1965 in New Orleans by Zigamoo Modelist on drums, George Porter Jr. on bass, Leo Nocentelli on guitar, and Art Neville on keyboards. The band performed and recorded their own music from the late 1960s until their dissolution in 77. So, as we said, they played a major role as the backing musicians for several other artists, including Lee Dorsey, Robert Palmer, Dr. John, Alan Toussaint, and a couple of their original songs, most notably Sissy Strut and Look Cop Pie Pie, are considered certified funk classics. They've played with just an innumerable fucking everybody yeah, innumerable <laughs> amount of musicians not only the meters as a group but each member individually themselves dude i was looking at like the the credits for some of these guys and my jaw was dropping yeah i mean george porter jr he's played with david byrne he's played with jimmy buffett and there's paul mccartney zigaboo he's also done a lot of things with all these artists and man these guys have been everywhere they are the they are the behind the scenes guys that give you the sound the the r&b funk sound of the 60s and 70s they're like they're like the hidden boss of funk yes (laughs) exactly (laughs) (laughs) they're they are your favorite musicians favorite funk group while they didn't really celebrate major mainstream success in their time, they are considered the progenitors of funk alongside artists like James Brown, like Stevie Wonder, and their work is influential to both their contemporaries and modern musicians alike. In fact, even the Red Hot Chili Peppers have covered a couple of their songs. Yep, yep. Africa was on Freaky Styling. Yep. And if you are a fan of 80s and 90s hip-hop, you have heard the meters already. Oh, yeah. Zooey Mama. I, I didn't realize it until I like went back and looked, but uh, the Public Enemy actually sampled a meter song. I was like, yo, like I heard the song and I immediately recognized it. Yep. <laughs> but yeah, man, they, uh, like everyone from Public Enemy to uh, Ice Cube and Run DMC, all of those guys, they have sampled the meters. Yeah, needless to say, these guys are kind of like those background masters, like those those hidden monks that you don't know about in, exactly. in the world of funk. Exactly. Yep. And uh, one interesting thing I did read about was how uh, Paul McCartney actually invited the meters to uh, play at his yacht birthday party. Yeah. Or something like that. Yeah. It was, well, it was a, 
party to celebrate the release of Venus and Mars, yeah. one of his best uh, albums with the Wings. It was actually uh, the producer of this album, Rejuvenation, the legendary Alan Toussaint, that also even directly collaborated on that album and helped them out. To be clear, Alan Toussaint is, he is the most important figure in the Meters' story, besides maybe the musicians themselves. Of course, like I said, he's a legendary producer from New Orleans as well. He was kind of behind the sound of a lot of 60s R&B and soul, even a lot of 60s hits, like Lipstick Traces, and they like it like that, and he is one of the founding members of this whole genre. Now, we've talked a lot about newer jazz and jazz fusion acts from all over the world, but New Orleans is the OG city for jazz. Indeed, and Alan was behind a lot of that. It should not be understated how big of a figure he was to creating this band. The, the meters were his, his rhythm section and the rhythm section behind a lot of artists from the mid-60s onwards. It's mind-blowing that these guys did not achieve the success that they, that they did as a group with how many big figures that they've worked with. It's fascinating because when you go and listen to the Meters catalog, I, I went back and listened to pretty much everything before Rejuvenation, and why wasn't this bigger? Why wasn't yeah. this? It's like exactly... The, the same kind of appeal. I mean, I will say, you know, being instrumental albums for their first three, I think that did hold them back a bit. Yeah. Because, I mean, when you have a figure like James Brown, who's really, really charismatic, high energy, super exciting, and a crazy singing voice, there was that face. The, or, or like a Stevie Wonder, you know. But. Right. The salesman to kind of sell the music, essentially. A lot of funk during that era was, and a lot of early funk is driven by, like you said, his personalities, either having crazy chops and charisma or doing or like George Clinton doing just a bunch of really weird experimentation, weird lyricism to sell it. Whereas the meters were kind of making a more level instrumental oriented funk and R and B fusion, a, a nice little melting pot. And I think because they didn't really go to like those extremes at some of them, maybe they kind of you know, cruised a little under the radar than those fellow acts. But to me, I think it's nice especially as an entry point because it's not as abrasive. If you listen to some P-Funk, it's easy to be turned off by the abrasiveness of how off the wall it is, but the meters is nice. It's a, a, an easy yeah, listen. very, very easy listen. Not like crazy. You know, there's not talking about like Mother Earth is getting knocked up and we're doing, <laughs> we're playing like O o-ring modulators on our bass that sounds like ducks quacking you know we're, doing, we're not doing a bunch of crazy you know bootsy cons is not going hey baby you know there's not a, like it's not over the top it's more accessible and i appreciate that about this album i really do yeah it's they that was their sound the meters were a down-to-earth raw new orleans groove sound rejuvenation is a a good starting point because it was the point along with Cabbage Valley, where they introduced vocals, horn arrangements, and I think that really, like, added to their sound. Because, you know, I, I like their first three albums, but I thought it was missing some elements. Like, it was good, but it was just, it just needed a little extra. It sounded like they were still just, just a rhythm section. This is where they really grew into their own act, their own band. I will, I will say, you know, Cabbage Valley, I'd almost put that on the same level as this album. Now, I do think Rejuvenation is better, but it is technically a follow-up to Cabbage Valley. Yes, indeed. The album after this, Fire on the Bayou, is 
actually a very solid album. And you could make an argument saying that that one is better than this one, but Rejuvenation was where I started, so it's kind of a personal pick for me. But but I'd, also, like, a lot of people have like, critically praised this album. I do believe that this is a great starting point for funk in general. Yeah, no, I'd have to agree. I'd have to agree. You know, I, I kind of had a weird introduction to funk. I started with, like, Parliament Funkadelic, and uh, my first funk album was actually Maggot Brain. Which is a very, very weird <laughs> Which starting is wild. point. <laughs> yeah, that is... Only you could be okay with that starting point. I love that album. I think that album is <laughs> fucking amazing. It definitely, but it's also is. insane. Yes, it's it's not for the the casual listener though. <laughs> yeah, mom was like early Red Hot Chili Peppers and Mothership Connection by Parliament. I was literally like pile drived into funk. <laughs> <laughs> yes, this is the better one to kind of ease your way this, into. It. If somebody asked me to give them a funk record, I would probably give them this one to like start with. Yeah, awesome. this or like some early Stevie. Because Stevie Wonder has been kind of all over the spectrum. A lot of people are familiar with Stevie, even if they haven't really gone out of their way to listen to it. I feel like those, these two like would be a good, a, a very solid entry point. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, definitely. And, you know, Rejuvenation, what I really appreciate this album and of all the albums we've listened here on this like Essentials journey we've taken, it's probably the easiest one to listen to. Like I could just put this on and, you know, listen to it in the background jam out while i'm doing some chores you tell me you can't and that's a, to, and that's a compliment tell me you can't listen to spiderland while you do some chores can't jam can't play easy lazy listening <laughs> slim. i can just imagine myself like picking up a laundry basket and then creeping up <laughs> <laughs> i i was talking to james so james and i actually work at the same place i won't say where but we were, we were at lunch and uh, i was talking to him he was like you know what do you think of the album man and i i was sitting there i was like you know you know at first when i was listening I kind of just had this like stank face when the first song came on and then the second song came on and I got that stank face again. And then the third song came on (laughs) and I got that stank face again. The stank face never went away. It just didn't go away. (laughs) That's that is this album and that is the meters in general. And again, that is why they are such an influential and such a beloved act by musicians and producers and Everyone in the music industry just about loves the meters. I mean, hell, they opened for the Rolling Stones in the mid seventies, and and it was because of that aforementioned yacht party that Paul McCartney had. An interesting story as well. When they were on that tour, when they were playing in Paris in seventy six, apparently the crowd was booing them, and Bruh. Keith and Mick came out themselves and said, "Shut up and listen to the music." <laughs> That just goes to show you just how much all these guys love the meters. The meters is why Robert Palmer became a star, <laughs> to be honest. I don't want to take away from Robert's talent as a singer and, and everything, but man, without the meters behind him on sneaking Sally through the alley, I don't think he would have gotten as big as he did. You know, I kind of understand why, to some extent, they didn't achieve the massive success that other funk acts had. I think that mainly has to do with the fact that while I do like the meters music and they know their way around a groove like crazy, you could, you could write some of it off as kind of like background music. And then that's not to take away from the band in any way, but it is almost too easy of a listen. I, I could see that argument being made as well. And that's one of the things I was kind of anticipating from, from anyone I 
show this album to. There is no point in this album that I can sit down. I cannot remain seated during this album. Yeah. I can't. <laughs> it's impossible. I guess this is the perfect time to give what little nitpick I have with this album. I, I disagree with Matt that it's not, it kind of flies under the radar. I think that the back of vocals very well done. And the singer has enough soul and impact to really carve out himself into the song. I just, I really don't like a lot of the, I feel like some of the lyrics are a little dated and I really don't like the kind of wordplay like in like, Hey, Pocky away. I don't really like that old school, like a hom, bomba, who, hom, boom, bam, boom, little Richard esque wordplay i think it's really corny and dated i don't care for it (laughs) um it's very it's it's used in about maybe like two songs but it's even then it's not really used it's like pretty much a nit a nitpick but that's also Mm -hmm. the reason why that song is my least favorite on here instead of starting off hot and and like kind of slowing down a little bit more it's like the opposite i feel like the the second half was a lot more blistering especially the guitar you know the guitar was really a secondary instrument in the first half and then the guitar just goes crazy with like you know ain't no use and then all and all that stuff it really comes in and gets a little bit more aggressive in the second half which usually it's the opposite usually an album starts off quick then slows down it's it's so weird to me that you would choose hey pakiway as your your least favorite i was gonna say yeah. i actually <laughs> thought that song was like a banger that that's like a, through and through. That I'm surprised. a banger. Yeah. i mean i i kind of agree with like the you know the the wordplay being kind of silly and very dated and like something my grandpa would listen to, but this is also 74 when this came out. Yeah. So. Well, it's, it's, it goes against like the rest of the album where the stuff is very, very poignant, very, very kind of emotional on some of these tracks. And then on another point that you bulleted this album is, is that maybe you won't like the length of some of these tracks. I had no problem with that. In fact, if they wanted to make Ain't No Use go on for about another five more minutes, I would not be opposed. Yeah. I love that Dude. song to death. That is Ain't, the best song well, in Ain't No Use is amazing. Dirty. Like, that is Stanky. Well, I'm glad. I'm glad to hear that. <laughs> that's that's great. I was afraid the jam, the like no. the six-minute jam at the end of that song no, we was, was going to turn you guys off. Funk rock jam. It was really eight-minute jam because the song itself was like three and a half four minutes almost and yeah 12 minutes long and no, the rest of it's just a jam that's an r&b funk classic yeah dude i love it so much but if yeah. you don't listen to this album listen to it ain't no use just just listen to that yeah i like that song jungle man just kiss my baby have to be like my top favorites god just kiss my baby is one of the funkiest songs i've ever heard in my life like every, yeah. it's like everyone's just like getting real into it. Like even the backup singers and the horns, when like when they come in the back, are really just putting that little bit, little bit of extra on it. They're 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 putting the mustard on it, so to speak. They're putting the nasty eight day old worn socks <laughs> on that shit. They're putting the fucking stanky ass fucking cheese that mm. sat out for like mm, tell them thirty days. It like oh, that's the kind of face that you're making when you're hearing just kiss my baby. <laughs> It is that nasty, <laughs> ridiculous, man. Mm, nasty, <laughs> dude. That fucking broke me. <laughs> I'm serious though, like, and it's it's because they're playing this on "Just Kiss My Baby." They're playing this riff, this real offbeat riff, and it's not just like a just a regular offbeat. It's they're playing on like a sixteenth note off the beat. It propels the music, but also just gives it this real laid back feel at the same time. And it's, uh, again, I, I've never been able to remain seated. 
got to stand up. I've got to dance. I got to look like a dumbass listening to this album. Speaking of, you know, the cheesy, like, 50s kind of wordplay, I understand that, but personally, I find it charming, and I... It, it's charming in, like, a like an old yeah grandpa kind of way. Yeah, I, I've always had a love and appreciation for, for the 50s tunes and the doo-wop and all that. And yeah, like, I'm not opposed to it. Yeah, but Hey, hey Pocky Way is rhythmically, like, musically, that is a New Orleans staple. That, Jungle Man... These these songs specifically, they are the sound of New Orleans. They are showing off what you're going to hear whenever you go to, if you ever go to New Orleans. That real loose swinging rhythm that's played on like the snare or the hi hat, and it's just like a boom, 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 and that's what you're going to hear, and you're going to be on your feet. Really consistent, very boogie. I felt oh, yeah. like in the first half it. The drum and bass were really what I was listening to the most. And then the second half, I feel like I was really listening to like the guitar and a little bit of the keyboards the most. It was like a little bit of that transition. And the bass player, George Porter Jr., might be, might be my favorite. Like, listen, I was just found myself just like holding it down like there, an anchor. There's a reason that man has played with every, almost everybody under the sun, man. I fucking love this guy. Him and Zigaboo are, those, those two guys are. Or the quintessential sound of New Orleans, and they really don't just hold it down as as much as they swap off being in the highlight for some of these songs. They have more personality than just being there, just holding the rhythm. But they do get like featured and brought into the spotlight a little bit, especially early on in the album. And I like that. I like that switching around. That kind of everyone gets a turn mentality because they can all play their butts off. And a lot of the early tracks, the guitar is really kind of just doing. This funk R&B he's doing like a riff he's doing a lick every once in a while but he's not like really just holding it down and then some songs he'll just just light into it and just crank that distortion up a little bit and he's like playing the lead part it's that back and forth gives a little a bit of a live feel like you're watching a concert like okay a lot of times live performances they're a little less structured they'll have different pieces different sections where someone will take a lead or someone will be featured a little more than the rest of the band and that is kind of what this feel like everyone got to shine in their own way. I appreciate that. I don't really like when someone just kind of takes a back seat on an album because it kind of feels like they came in, did their part, and just left. But this is not one of those albums. I feel I don't really feel like there was like a weak spot, like instrumentally or performance-wise. Nope. And like even, like, yeah, I did criticize the lyrics. I am not criticizing the vocals at all. Both the vocals, both the backup um, ladies and the main vocals are both great they are just enough i wouldn't give any more or take away i just this is right in the perfect place because this is ultimately a funk album and with funk it's all about the rhythm the horns are there to accent to give a little spice to it and everything but it's all about the rhythm the bass the drums even the guitar it's all rhythmically based they do it perfectly here where i think an album like this differentiates itself from other session musician super groups i feel like in a lot of those bands there isn't enough personality there isn't enough to shine because all of those guys are trained to play the wt40 and duct tape guy you're just there to kind of fill a role and i feel like a lot of those session musician super group guys will do that but here i feel like it is still just right but they're adding a lot of flavor the personal example of that i would use is 
all the bands that Josh Klingoffer has joined. Um, a very good session musician has joined a lot of albums like the Nautilus Barkley albums and a lot of early Red Hot Chili Peppers albums. But then when he had to fill the main guitarist spot for Chili's, he did exactly what he was told, but he didn't have that personality like all their other guitarists had. He just, you could see their style having to change to be more bass oriented because he gave what was asked of him, but he never really took on a whole lot of personality in the band. And a lot, it's, it can be tough for session musicians that are used to just being plug and play guys to have to carry the creativity of the band now instead of being told, hey, do this and do that. I think a big reason for that, the meters having their own kind of sound, their own flavor, is they were, all of the members here were heavily influenced by jazz. They're from New Orleans. I mean, <laughs> they grew up with it, and they have that improvisational backbone no matter what. Yeah, exactly. And so they're going to bring everything they have to the sound. But where I'll also give them praise is when they did get improvisational, they did it just enough. They didn't go too far. They didn't go too deep. Even on tracks like It Ain't No Use, where they're jamming for eight minutes. That felt just right. Now, some people might say that in the context of all of funk, that this might be too safe a record. But I think that a genre has to cover all oh, spaces, yeah. both extreme and a more a more conservative side. So I think this fits in perfectly. I don't have any problems with this. Yeah. I wouldn't call this like a groundbreaking record, but I still think it's a special record regardless. Maybe not groundbreaking in terms of experimentation or like, you know, trailblazing or anything like that. Yeah, like. It's, I'd say it's groundbreaking in terms of giving you the roots. They're giving you the baseline. This is the standard. This is what you should sound like if you're going to play funk. The bare essence. That's fair. The, the, the mineral truth. This is like the baseline. They're, they're groundbreaking in the sense that they're breaking the ground to lay the foundation. Well said. Well said. I agree. So personally, if I were to choose my least favorite track on this album, it would be Loving You Is On My Mind. Not that I dislike the track. I do actually still love it. But this is the track that is probably the most egregious offender and in the terms of y'all's criticism being too conservative, this track sounds more like their first few albums. This track sounds more like oh, the rhythm section just playing a basic song for another group or another musician. It's a great song, great melody. Everything's great about it, but it doesn't really give me the same feeling as the rest of the album does. What about you, Mac? If I had to pick one, I'd say it's Love Is For Me. What? No, I could I can understand that too. Somewhat cap, I could understand that it was too. Mainly the lyrics. Mm-hmm. They're, it, they're and also it's very is kind of old school, early sixties R and B soulish instead of being real funky. It's you know, a little bit more of like a pop song. It feels it's a little, like. it's a little too sappy for me. They to me they still have that funk element to it. They still have like especially in the chorus, it, it still has that funk swing to it, but. Yeah, I can understand. It was either that song or Loving You Is On My Mind or It Ain't No Use. That was the, Those are the three tracks that I was anticipating some pushback from y'all. Whereas It Ain't No Use is literally just like, oh, you sweet summer child. You know, you know, I, I, know we, I know we like dog on long songs a lot, but 
if you can keep me engaged for that whole 12 minutes, I'm there. I'm with it. I like long a lot doesn't of, long doesn't always mean bad. Yeah, I yeah. like a lot of ten minutes. Like I like a lot of songs that are over five minutes. One of my favorite albums of all time <laughs> is one song in thirty five minutes. <laughs> yeah, no, I and I know I know that. Yeah. I just I wasn't sure if the jam that jam was going to keep y'all engaged. Well, no, it was. It was good. Well, okay. awesome. Well, personal anecdote from me and Max real life experiences when we went to go see King Gizzard and they jammed for. Way 20, too long. What was it like twenty five minutes? Yeah, and when, but they weren't really doing anything. They weren't changing dynamics up, and they weren't even really doing impressive solos. They're more like they got to a point after about fifteen minutes where they were just noodling for the last ten. I'm just like, man, as much as I love them, they should have stopped like ten minutes ago. Because the best music, the best long songs, are ones that if you listen to them, if someone told you that they were multiple songs, just blended really well so the transitions lined up, would you believe them? If the answer is no, well, it might not be a good long song. If the answer is well, yes, yeah. like look at La Vila Strangiato. You put a gun to my head and you said, oh, these are definitely three separate tracks. Are you kidding? I'd be like, yeah, I can see that. They're blended really well. Or like Shine On You Crazy Diamond. That could easily be multiple songs put together. It's not just like one song that they decided to just noodle too long on. You know, it, there's multiple parts. It's dynamic. And there's a, a lot of change in both tempo, time signature, and mm-hmm. content. Even like a more modern example that I can think of, actually. And, you know, this isn't some like class, classic rock song, but actually Sister Nation by Rockhampton. That song has three parts, and you could easily, I mean, they, they work together, but you could easily separate them into three different songs. Mm-hmm. I mean, the dynamic on that song is crazy. Like thick like a brick, like like Jethro. Thick as a brick, you know. Long season by Fishman's. That's five parts. Like, I mean, it's the going back to classical terminology. There's movements in the song. Yeah, exactly. There's there's movement. It's something I talk about all the fucking time. Movement in the music. That's what matters. That's. I mean, that's and you know we've been kind of saying it in a roundabout way, but that's really what I look for in really lengthy tracks is movement. So, not all of their lyrics were cheesy on the album. Some, some of them were. I won't lie. Yeah, that was that was them, like the big yeah. detractor. But I also understand, you know, the time period. Yeah. So and, like, it's and I the, can give it a pass. And the genre too. Like, yeah. let's be honest. A lot of, there's a lot of funk and R and B out there that's that's corny. Yeah. Sometimes a lot of George Clinton stuff does get a little too much that it kind of takes away from some of the more like mellow music. But well, it's still all in good fun. And that's mm-hmm. really kind of just nitpicking. Sounds like people say in Africa, those do deal with some more serious subjects. People say this album came out in, it was the beginning of 1974. So it's pretty much the mid 70s, or at least almost the mid 70s at this point. And, you know, America was going through an economic slump at the time. It was only recently that African Americans had gained somewhat of a equal social status at this point, so things still were not great, and they they no. were they were singing about the times in a real straightforward, honest way. Other songs like Africa was kind of an inverse of people say, but they were singing about the good times, the better times, the better place, like. The grass is greener over there. They were longing for something new, something different. A return to the homeland, the motherland. Very well put. 
Yes, well said. Plus, they were doing it with a groovy overtone. Yeah, and it's an interesting thing to get into, you know, like protest music. Because I feel like in a lot of ways, funk was uh, a response to the issues that you're talking about, you know, back from that time. Oh, absolutely. Especially, yeah, like a lot of a lot of funk gets very political. Yeah, especially in the early days when things were still they were still fighting for rights and everything. It was it was kind of a catharsis. Absolutely. And blues was very much the same way. Blues and soul, R and B, rap music, yeah, like, funk, rap music. It's all born out of the same frustration, frustration, shittiness, the the longing for something better to escape the horrible circumstances that they were in. Well, that and I see funk having a lot, a big correlation with Afrobeat in the way this music is written. A lot of it is very simple to the point, and there's not a whole lot of real long-form lyricism on the subject, especially some of the mid and later 70s funk. And like the Afrobeat that was going on, like Fela Kuti would have songs that are like 15 minutes long. The only thing he's saying is for two minutes, he's just, oh, we said we're selling each other. Oh, and then we're selling each other. And then that'd be like it. There's not really, he's not doing a long form lyrics about the political institutions. He's making a simple statement in a very small portion of the song. And then he's letting the instruments do the rest of the talk. And that's how a lot of funk is. They might make, you know, some simple words here and there, but they're very direct to the point and they're not. And it's usually pretty hard hitting too. Yes. It's yeah. not really covered in a lot of over the top. Super metaphorical. Yeah. Like... It's really speaking to more of the common man. There's not a whole lot of symbolism. You don't need a you know, super college degree to figure out what's, you know, you don't have to go in genius and figure out what they're saying. It's very straight to the point. They're sending the message and then they kind of go back to the background and let the music get nice and funky again. And there's, it's a nice break from the usual where all these people that get super political are making all these symbols and huge metaphors and they're, they're writing their thesis statements on, you know, what they think about the current political landscape. Well, you know, these people were just giving the exact opposite of that. It is refreshing. Exactly. At times. Exactly. And that's what this music was supposed to be, a refresher. It was in funk, soul, R&B, blues. A lot of times they were in different settings, but they all served the same purpose. They were escapes. They were escapes from the shittiness. The poverty. You the know. poverty. The, when you went to church or when you went to the dance club or to the, the music venue or wherever, that's where you went to release all the stress, all the anxiety. And that was incredibly important. I mean, that would be important to any community, but especially so for the African-American community during these times. And that's why this music, that's why all the blues, the soul, the funk, that's why it has so much feeling to it, so much emotion. That's why the common denominator in all of this music is how rhythmic it is how danceable it is because that's what it was for and they just left all that behind left all that at the door and they were here to just dance and sing and be happy well said james the historical significance of these genres is not lost on me at all yeah i know i just want to bring the music to everybody yeah, and I think, honestly, understanding music history and even the stuff that we listen to today, like the rap music that came out today, it's important to go back and look at blues, funk, R&B, soul, because it's all connected. You know, rap is kind of an evolution of these genres. 
Oh, absolutely. Especially funk. Especially funk. Like I was saying before, funk is, it puts an emphasis on the rhythmic aspects of music more than anything else. And like you said, rap is directly, hip-hop is directly an evolution of that. Because it's the same thing. Funk evolves into hip-hop. Now the vocals are doing the rhythmic part too. That's it. And hip-hop evolves into trap, which evolves into vaporwave, which <laughs> evolves into dubstep. <laughs> also, is funk and R&B not one of the best genres to sample? I mean, you could sample every one of these tracks and make just banger instrumentals. Killer beats. There's so many yeah. pockets of just stankiness that I can just see. My brain just says, man, that could be a song. That could be a hook. That could be a loop. You know, that could be a loop. So we could just or drop verses over all of this material. Yeah, and that's exactly why it was. <laughs> so so often, I mean, you can hear the meters in hundreds of hip-hop songs, especially old-school hip-hop. The meters and, like, a lot of old James Brown and some stuff, the incredible, like, bongo band. I have some of the most sampled stuff as far as the 90s and early 2000s go. I mean, good Lord. That and Afrobeat stuff. A lasting impact, no matter what. But yeah, I think we've uh, pretty much gone over everything we can. So is there anything you want to say before we get into our final thoughts? All righty. Do you want to go first this time, Garrett? Sure. This album brings out a lot of elements and doesn't really sharpen its blade too far into any of them. Funk can be a very egregious subgenre with some of its not only subject matter but its presentation be a little too extreme and it doesn't dive too far into the R&B category it doesn't give it doesn't delve too far into funk to be super hyper specific examples of each but it does present both of these in a very jazzy very melodic very rhythmic way that hooks you into the entire song and gives you little changes throughout, but keeps that just that those thumping bass patterns, those those smooth, silky drums. It keeps you anchored in, it keeps you invested. And at some points it's just it like it ain't no use. It gets super rock, it gets you on your feet. And then sometimes love is for me and you know some people might not care for it. Loving you is on my mind. It kinda you know, it kinda rocks you sleep, gets you in a little bit of an easy listening mood. It's very accessible, yet it goes out of its way to show you the musicianship of each one of these members. Like we said before, the vocals are mixed really well. The backup vocals are in the right spot. They're not too overbearing. The horns are in the right spot. Even for someone like me that just loves horn features and horn sections and choruses to death. And I didn't really say it before, but the backup vocals are especially well-placed because a lot of old-school R&B tends to go over the top with their background female vocalists. It almost drowns out attention of the singer, but that is not here. Like Max said, this album is the the funk in its right place. It is the melting pot of the early and mid-70s, and that all coalesces into an essentials pick. Well said, Garrett. I don't have as much to say, I do think this is a fantastic record. It's well-paced. And as I said before, everything is just right. It's in its right place. There honestly isn't too much I'd change about this album. You know, I did complain about the lyrics, but also you got to think about the time period this came out in. 
and there is a certain charm to it. This is a fun and easy listening experience, and the meters are such an important group to the development of funk music, of even soul or R&B. These guys were masters of their instruments, of their style, and they're pivotal to the importance of the genre as a whole. So I got to give them props. I was pleasantly surprised by this album, and I'm definitely going to keep listening to it. I'd say this is an essential. Please check it out. This is an album that I would recommend any beginner funk listener. Well said. Well said. And I'm, I'm very excited and very happy that you two both enjoyed it. Because I, I mean, Mac knows more than anyone. I've been fucking sing, singing this album's praises for years. I've known this man for five years now. <laughs> and he has talked to me about this album. Like, all the time. <laughs> all the time. So, for me, my introduction to the meters was actually a little later than life. It was after I had, you know, already fallen in love with Zeppelin and The Who and, you know, all those big rock acts and some blues artists I'd heard. And, I'd, of course, everybody has heard I Feel Good by James Brown. You know, that James Brown was, of course, my introduction to funk, as he is for most people, I would say. I did not hear the meters until, actually, a movie. Jackie Brown a excellent Tarantino movie, which I would recommend, featured one of their instrumental songs, Sissy Strut, which is, of course, one of the greatest funk songs, funk riffs ever written. I heard it in the movie, and I was like, that stank face came on, of course, because it's the meters. And I was like, what is that? What is that? And I had, I had to find out. From there, I just immediately fell in love and that's when I discovered this album, Rejuvenation, and I was like, I'm hooked forever. Looking at it now in the context of all the other funk music that I was exposed to and just popular music in general in the 70s and 60s, the meters were an essential part of the music of those two decades. You've probably already heard the meters, but in case you don't know or you haven't heard them, please look up Rejuvenation and become enlightened. 10 out of 10. Amazing, amazing album, amazing group. Well said, my man. Well, with that being said, any final thoughts, guys? All right, well, this is Off the Key Podcast with the final episode of Off the Key Essentials, and we're out of here. Thanks, guys. Hey, everybody. Mac here, and I just wanted to give a shout-out to LaCrembo for the intro and outro music. Also, check out our link tree for where to follow us. We are on Instagram and Facebook and a variety of streaming platforms. And if you could give us a sub or a listen or even a follow, it'd be greatly appreciated. Thanks, guys. See you later.